in the high desert in the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell. Slamming into your radio like a supercharged nanoparticle of unobtainium. My name is George Van. I'm Richard Serrett. This is Connie Willis. I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast Day. It's great to be here. Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are two brothers who analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show known as Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and I'm the guy that listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris. I'm the Jackie Chan to your Chris Tucker, but they're actually probably a better comedic duo than us. They most certainly are a better comedic duo. Are you kidding me, dude? I mean, Rush Hour 1 and 2 are classics. Rush Hour 3 is kind of trash. But 1 and 2, legitimately good movies. Aren't they rebooting Rush Hour? Wait, don't. I don't want to hear this. Just keep going. Start the show. <laughs> Start the show. Start the show. Oh, uh, well, Chris, we have a very fun one for you today that I know that you specifically are going to be excited about. Oh, give it to me, baby. What are we talking about? We are going to be talking about the Galactic Federation. You're going to have to stop me from getting big brained on this one. It's a very big brain episode. And why I really like this one is that the guy who is being interviewed by George Nori here, his name is Dr. Michael Sala, and he does not go off of remote viewing. Well, he does a little bit, but not just remote viewing. He goes off of abduction experience and then also what government officials have said. So it's a bit more grounded. I can't wait for this, dude. I'm so excited. (laughs) All right, let's get big brain with the doc. It's going to be great. And we're even going to touch a little bit on space arcs. So, oh, yes. Yeah. You know, I'm a big space arc fan, dude. That's dude. like literally top three types of space travel I want to know about. Uh, and it's one of those things where I was like, it's going to touch a little bit on ancient aliens and the Galactic Federation. Chris is going to lose his mind. So, very oh, pumped yeah, to get into baby. it. All right. I'm stoked. All right, but before we jump into that, we got to check in with our good friend Tim Banal at the Coast to Coast AM blog. It's Tim time! Today's article, British cops report hearing a phantom train. Choo-choo! <laughs> terrible, terrible. Uh, I figured we hadn't done a ghost one in a while, so I want to get a little spooky with yeah, it. Yeah, get a ghost do the trains in the UK make a different sound than the trains in America? I guess the I actually, trains. Yeah. I guess the trains in America just go crash. <laughs> they just go boom. Yeah, they just uh, they just uh, explode. So well, the, uh, yeah, I imagine they don't make that sound in the UK. The trains, I feel like in Europe and the UK, have a much cuter horn. It's kind of a higher right. pitched horn. I feel like yes, like it has electronic. to be because there's just so much more t- train travel, right? All right. So jumping into the article, in a spooky story out of England, a pair of police officers say that they heard a phantom train pass their station, where they later learned that a railway had once existed long ago. Now that's cool. It's pretty fun. That's super cool. According to a local media report, the eerie incident occurred last week in the town of Swaddlingcote. Swaddlingcote. That is As, not the name of a town. Uh, apparently, it maybe is that I'm butchering. Someone should really just... Swaddlingcote? Someone should splice together all of my mispronunciations because I can't pronounce any names of places. Oh, God, please don't do that. 
The town of Swaddling Coat as constables Joe Stafford and Whitney Holmes Small were set to that's, commence their work patrolling the community. That's pretty awesome that they're constables. That's an excellent name, Constable. Yeah, Constable George. To their profound surprise, the duo suddenly heard the unmistakable sound of locomotives approaching the police station. As the noise grew closer, their confusion was compounded. When leaves on nearby trees began to sway and the air felt like it was being moved by an unseen force. That's so awesome. That is the best way to experience a ghost train. What? So, putting the skeptic hats on, what what's happening right now? Uh, you know, maybe a really big gust of winds and they heard something strange at the same time. I'm not totally sure. Right. The, the thing that makes this a little more convincing, though, is that there are two cops who saw the yes. same thing. Right. Two cops who saw the same thing and that there was a railroad right there. Well, hold on. Let's let's get there. OK. Amazingly, the pair claimed that the noise from the proverbial ghost train went right past the station. And as the sound appeared to fade into the distance, the phantom locomotive even tooted its horn. Toot, toot. Understandably bewildered by what they experienced, they looked into the history of the building and discovered that there had once been a railway that ran right next to the site. That's so awesome. Please tell me the police station used to be... The old train station. It, it it was right next to the old train station, I guess. Okay. Okay. Dang it. That but would that, have just made the whole thing hop, dude. That's what's cool about this, though. As long as all this is true, where the cops did not know there used to be a train that would go through there. Right. So I don't know. Maybe there was some sort of electromagnetic phenomena occurring where there was like residual energy from the previous trains that had run through. And then those cops had like tapped into it for some reason. So I have a, a, another explanation for this one, Paul. I'm thinking it may be something because in the UK, especially in these small towns, these are generations of people. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually like, repressed memories from their ancestors in their dna as like walking the same route that their like great great grandsires walked listening to the train coming at the same time dude and it was just like weird synchronicity that like they felt from their dna and so what makes it even more crazy is that Feeling coming from like the DNA of our beings was enough to to affect the environment around them, rustling trees and stuff. So I mean, this has profound implications. It it, it would if that were true. Well, because here's the other thing that could be happening. <laughs> if that was what was happening, um, it could also be a situation where if if your theory is correct. Their DNA repressed memories was not necessarily actually impacting the world around them, but they were having more of a flashback type situation Ooh, there you go. where okay. they yeah. felt as if the world was being impacted. Right. Now, the only knock there, though, is that they, they both would have to experience the same DNA flashback at the same moment, which I feel like the odds for that would be small, but I'm not an expert on DNA repressed memories. You missed a part of what I was saying. Them walking together increases the likelihood that it happens because their grandsires did it before them 
Oh, both of their relatives. You need, and this is the, um, this is what we've been saying. The important part about community is that you need those more people to harness the energy, the collective memory of our ancestors, (laughs) which then would allow us to project that energy upon the environment like the precursor civilization that Graham Hancock talks about. I did it. You are taking so many steps off the ledge. (laughs) All right, back to the article. Remarkably, rather than keep the strange story a secret within their ranks, the Swathlincote Police Department actually shared the officer's account on social media and asked if anyone else had previously encountered the phantom train, which would seem to suggest that the tale was a genuine report of ghostly activity on the part of two cops. Hey, baby. That's a good stuff, man. That was a lot of good stuff in that that article, Tim. So thank you for sharing that with us, Mr. Timmy Banal. Well, and the coolest part, too, is that the cops actually shared it publicly, which I think there has been a bit of a movement for the paranormal to be a bit more accepted in society right now. I mean, obviously everyone knows about like UFOs and UAPs, but I think that's kind of bled over into a lot of other stuff where folks are a bit more open than they used to be to talk about it. I see a lot more like crystal shops and candle burnings than I feel like I've ever have in my life. Yeah, that's true. Evelyn Paglini would be very happy with that, I'm sure. She would be happy. She didn't really talk about crystals, though, but definitely on the candles. Yeah, a lot of the candles and incense probably fits in well with her. Maybe she likes crystals. We'll have to uh, break down some other episodes of her. She was on a ton. Some quick housekeeping, Chris. We have an email address. You can send your thoughts to c2cpmpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at c2cpmpod or on our subreddit, Coast to Coast PM. Links will be in the show notes. You can also find us wherever you get podcasts. If you like the show, uh, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and smash that subscribe button. We drop every Thursday, and that'll make sure you never miss an episode. And you can also support us on Patreon by following the link in the show notes to get both ad-free episodes and early access to episodes. We try to get the episodes out to our patrons about two days before everyone else. Uh, But if you don't got a a few bucks to throw our way, that's totally cool. The coolest and best way to support us and easiest way is just give us five stars on Apple or Spotify. And drop a review, too. We love the reviews. I've been sharing them on Twitter, so if anybody wants to be Twitter famous... All right, so jumping to today's episode about the Galactic Federation. This is a June 6th, 2022 interview where George Nori is speaking with Dr. Michael Sala. Have we ever done back-to-back George? I think this is actually the first time. This is the first time we've ever done back-to-back George. I usually need a palate cleanser after doing a George Nori episode. (laughs) Well, this is this is a palate cleanser. I can feel it coming already. I feel like George. I feel like George shows out for aliens. He he does a he does a bit of a better job. But we'll talk yeah. to some points where I, I kind of had issues. But uh, you know, when it comes to Doctor Michael Salacris, I know what your first question probably is: What the hell is he a doctor of? <laughs> so, Doctor Michael Sala has a PhD in government from the University of Queensland and an MA in philosophy from the University of Melbourne. He also taught at American University um, before he started talking about the Galactic Federation, at which point American University separated ties with Dr. Sala. Dude, 
American University, notorious spook school. They had to get rid of that man. You can't, they can't said, you, you're giving away top secrets just on a whim. And here's the thing about him, though, because usually it's like, you know, our last guy had a, a PhD in business administration. Right. Sella has a PhD in government. The Galactic Federation is a form of government. It's a government. I, it, it, I, did you notice? I didn't even question you. Yeah, it's it honestly makes a little sense. It makes a ton of sense. And also, I kind of have a government major. Like, I love Galactic Federation. I want. It's it's like a weird form of this like utopian thinking. And so it's like if I was to create a, an intergalactic, different species form of government, what would it look like? Yeah, and I think that's why people love Star Trek, too, because it's it's right. basically saying, what's an ideal state where we could exist at some point? Gene Roddenberry, I consider to be a Christ-like figure. Well, we'll get into Gene Roddenberry during this episode. We're going to talk Gene, too? We're going to talk Gene, This yeah. episode's going to have everything. Let's go. <laughs> All right, so first off, what is the Galactic Federation? You've looked at the Galactic Federation and the Star Cup Command for some time now. Tell us what they are, first of all, Michael. Well, you know, these are associations of extraterrestrial life, and it's important to understand that uh, extraterrestrials uh, would organize themselves politically just as we organize ourselves politically when we reach a certain level of um, kind of civilizational development. I mean, so that was, a, that was a question that I was very interested in from very much the beginning of my involvement in this, but never really found an, enough information to, to put it all together in, in terms of uh, an extended research report or a book uh, until recently that I thought now we've reached the point where there's just so much information that these organizations exist and we can kind of get a, a basic idea of some of the major ones that are influencing us. Paul, I consider myself pretty well read. What is all this information about the real-life Galactic Federation? Uh, we're going to get into it today. So one of the okay. biggest ones is that multiple people have reported contact with aliens through, like, abduction experiences, some of them through remote viewing. And they are reporting that there is some sort of Galactic Federation that the uh, extraterrestrials they have made contact with are a part of. Well, Professor Brown from Emory University told us about the Galactic Federation that was watching the Hailbach Comet pass by Earth with its amazing spaceship behind it. I remember, Paul. I remember. You, you do. But here's the here's the difference, though, is that uh, Sala talks about contactees as well as remote viewing experiences versus Brown, who specifically talked just about remote viewing. And, you know, I am not a big fan of remote viewing. I never have been, but especially am not after our hail pop episodes. So I was right. more interested in like contactee experiences as as something to go off of. And Paul, just give a rough definition. What? What is a contactee for our uninitiated? Yeah, so a contactee is someone who has made contact with extraterrestrials, and that can happen in a variety of different ways. But one of the most popular is like an abduction scenario. So at some point, you are actually taking on to a spacecraft. You met with extraterrestrials. You were experimented on potentially if they were a bit more nefarious. Uh, or maybe they just took you to a secret base here on Earth. Uh, and and you were able to interact with them that way, and they shared some sort of secret um, or hidden information with you. Great job. 
Is that a good rundown? That was good. <laughs> it was almost as if you were expecting that. I, I wasn't actually. That was just off the top of my head. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Thank you. All right. So let's get into some of these reports, right? Because he said, you know, I always want to talk about Galactic Federation, but there just wasn't enough evidence. But then he finally got the, the trove of evidence that he was looking for. You know, are there multiple reports over history? And so I found that there were that two of those organizations that, that you just mentioned, the Ashtar Command and the Galactic Federation, you know, these organizations that were mentioned in the, in the 1950s by different contactees, uh, uh, George Van Tassel, mm-hmm. one of the most famous uh, contactees ever, uh, he was the organizer of the giant rock conventions that had up to 11,000 people attending them um, during these uh, years that uh, that they met. He was talking about the Ashtar Command in in um, 1952, and and then you have um, Daniel Fry, uh, another classic contactee who who was an engineer out at White Sands Missile Range. Yeah, both of these people were very, very credible. They were very responsible people. So that meant that we have, since that time, multiple reports of these two organizations. And, you know, when you can put it all together, you have a very powerful case that these organizations exist. So this Ashtar Command mm-hmm. is a separate government from the Galactic Federation, or are are they all the names of the same thing? Like you can call us America. You can call us USA. You can call us the United States. You can call us NATO. You can call us the G8. Yeah. So we will get into what some of the differences are, but they are different organizations and they, they have different purposes. So from what I can deduce from Sal is thinking here is that there are uh, quite a few different alien races and those alien races have come together much like, uh, you know, folks come together to form a nation state in on, on Earth. And those nation states have different philosophies, different theories about how to interact with other life forms, and then also different purposes for interacting with us, be it military or spiritual. I love that idea. That's good stuff. <laughs> He's got get a lot of good lore, man. So right, let's let's dive deeper into it. Let's let's jump a little bit into the Federation because the thing about a Federation, much like any Federation here on Earth, there's going to be some rules you got to lay down. Absolutely. Well, you know, we need to know what rules they they have in interacting with humanity. Uh, in the famous Star Trek series, you had the the Prime Directive, which was a set of rules. Uh, describing the conditions by which the uh, the, the, the fictional uh, confederation of planets that uh, were, were part of the Star Trek series uh, would be able to intervene in, in, in worlds. And we all know uh, the, the Prime Directive described that there could not be any interference in the development of a, a kind of pre-warp society. So that's the fictional version. So, you know, why wouldn't a um, an organization such as the Galactic Federation have similar kind of bylaws or rules against intervening? We've talked about this thoroughly. It's mm-hmm. why I, I don't believe in so much of the alien contact stories and stuff like that, you know, that there's whole alien races interacting with humans on a regular basis is because I believe that there is kind of a prime directive. We're mostly left alone. 
Yeah, and I think that is an interesting take too from Salah because basically what he's saying is that there are interactions that are occurring. Right. And those interactions have to be occurring underneath some sort of larger structure because if if you are large enough of a civilization to expand out into the cosmos and go into different uh you know galaxies potentially or definitely different star systems you're going to have rules and regulations around that so right. what are the rules that are dictating how they are interacting with us yeah. going with the the foundation that they are interacting with us right so that we're starting right. there we're accepting that as true and then trying to deduce what the rules are so that we know how to interact with them too. What are the rules when you've just turned black and you can't switch back? Well, you gotta go and find out the rules. Now, but he did mention the prime directive, right? From Star Trek. He also mentions that someone actually gave him a real prime directive. This came from a contactee. They gave him the written codes. Like they get, Moses yeah. on the Mount getting the Ten Commandments from God, this alien race was like, you can have these rules. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I can't wait to hear this. And so I began to kind of look at that and, and found that there was actually uh, some some of these contactees uh, describing the prime directive that the Galactic Federation operated on. So I, I found uh, one of the draft documents of this galactic federation a real life galactic federation this was uh, something i got from uh, the french contactee a former archaeologist elena danan she gave me a draft or she gave me the, the prime directive that she said belonged to the galactic federation the world of the real life organization and and when i looked at that and compared that with the star trek directive there was an overlap there, there was kind of similar verbiage, and that, that kind of raised the question, well, is the Star Trek Prime Directive fictional, or was it based on a real-life Prime Directive belonging to a Galactic Federation? I wanted to know what it actually said! It's it's basically saying what the Star Trek one says. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. Now, here's the interesting thought process that Sal is using that I think this is a great example of a place where Nori could push back or ask more questions. Salas says that he has a contactee who gave him a prime directive that has very similar verbiage to the Star Trek prime directive. Therefore, he is deducing that the Star Trek prime directive must be based on something real, right? Right. Now, that is like me going to you, Chris, and saying, hey, man, I just had contact with aliens. And let me tell you the story about a galaxy far, far away from a long, long time ago. And there's this organization called the Empire. Right. 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 And then you saying, oh, my God, George Lucas right. must know about aliens and not say like what you should say to that is, did you just copy this from Star Trek? <laughs> right. Right. Or did you copy this from Star Wars? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. I also think, like I said, Gene Ron Gene Roddenberry is a is a Christ like figure. The man could conceptualize things that I think even most of our leading figures, our our political elite and financial elite, couldn't foresee. And so I don't know. Maybe he could just like kind of like, yeah, pretty much got that one right. Nailed it. Well, I'm going to give Gene a lot of credit, though. I'm going to give him a ton of credit throughout this whole thing. I mean, the man was a a, a true 
we, I mean, we should start a Star Trek religion and kind of go through the morality of Star Trek because he was, I bet he's going to be, he's going to end up being pretty close. Well, that's the thing about Star Trek, right? Is that it is awesome. And I yeah. hope it is close. Like yeah. it is this utopian idea of what humanity could become. Right. And I think a lot of people would like to see that utopian ideal be created where it's like, no, we, we get over ourselves and right. we just become peaceful explorers. Right. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. But his, his answer to that and why he thinks that Gene Roddenberry actually was relaying secret information about a real galactic federation of sorts is because he thinks that Gene Roddenberry was like deep state apparently. Yeah, dude. Gene Roddenberry was in the Navy. That some of the earlier work I had done in examining uh, people such as uh, Bill Tompkins and and others saying that uh, Gene Roddenberry was actually read in to a U.S. Navy secret space program that was working with an organization such as the Galactic Federation, and and so you kind of put two and two together, and and you realize that. Uh, people like Roddenberry that came up with concepts uh, such as uh, the Prime Directive and his fictional association of worlds were actually being inspired or actually being given real-life documents that were very similar to an actual galactic federation that exists t today. I have nothing to say against that. I have not mm -hmm. one thing to say against that. Here's my question. Gene Roddenberry is in a top secret naval room, right? Okay, cool. I got that. Uh, he is read into a super secret program that we are speaking to alien life forms. Cool. I will accept that premise as totally true for, for the sake of this discussion. Why do they let him go and make a TV show about it? I will tell you, Paul. I will tell you, and it's because I've been... All right. I've been doing some history reading. There was a real, like, enlightened reform movement going on in the late 60s and early 70s, right when Star Trek hits. Right when Star Trek hits. And it, like, literally consumed all of America, dude. And, like, the elites for just, like, a small little second were, like, Maybe we can let some information out. Maybe we can open things up a little bit. We are still living under that reform movement of the late 60s, early 70s. And so that's why Gene is allowed to get this message out because they're like, we kind of have to start like easing this idea in, dude. This is classic. This is classic propaganda technique. But it's propaganda in the positive. Yeah, this is positive propaganda. I knew you would get revved up on this one, man. I knew it. Oh, oh, that that makes sense to me. I accept that. So, really, it was an idea of like, okay, we need to really start telling you know people about the fact that we're talking with aliens. Let's let Gene go make a cool TV show. We're going to start leaking it slowly through really cool television. They said, create the perfect world, create the the blueprint for us, Gene. And he does it through Star Trek. And he tricked us, dude. He entertained the crap out of us. And the whole entire time, he was infusing us with the keys to the next level of evolution for humanity. 
I hope that you are right and that we have been all brainwashed by Star Trek because I think the world would be better if we were. So many people haven't watched the TV shows. So many people. And and honestly, I've only watched Next Generation. I just got Paramount Plus and there's like five new Star Trek shows. They are because they got Picard. They have like three other ones that are running or something like that. Like there's a lot of Star Trek I need to get into. All right. So next up, Chris, I told you that we had some bureaucrats who were backing this up, right? Always, dude. There's always going to be a bureaucrat at the end of this. So what Salah brings up is the former head of Israel's space program who ran it for 30 years, says that the Galactic Federation is real. Are we allowed to talk about Israel? Yes. Oh, okay. What? Just go play it. Back to Coast to Coast. George Nori with you along with Dr. Michael Sala. His website is linked up at coasttocoastam.com. One of his books, Galactic Federations, Councils, and Secret Space Programs. Michael, the head of what was called Israel Space Program, Haim Ished, he's a uh, visiting professor now. He had something to say about the Federation, didn't he? Well, yes, he definitely created waves when he said uh, it was around 2019 uh, that the Galactic Federation exists and that it was working with the Donald Trump administration and that uh, Trump had been told by the Federation that it was uh, too early yet for the Federation to reveal itself to humanity. Uh, because uh, humans still needed to develop uh, sophisticated technologies so that they wouldn't be overwhelmed when the Federation would reveal itself. Quite a remarkable statement. So this is actually kind of a meme in the underverse that one of the reasons that we know aliens aren't real is because Donald Trump didn't say anything about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I actually disagree with that somewhat because at the end of the day, Trump wants to be invited into elite circles in which he cannot attain. One of the things you have to do to go into these inner circles is maintain very important secrets. So if they kind of let him peek behind the cover a little bit, dude, he would know this would not be something he could say ever. And that's the thing is that realistically, Donald Trump was aware of a ton of secret information that he did not tell people. Right. You know what I mean? Like how much top secret information do we actually know from Trump? Not very much. It was like, I think he sent a picture once he wasn't supposed to send. And like, that was pretty much it. Yeah, but that's classic Trump, too. You know what I mean? It's like, what the hell is that? It looks like a hut. And then it's like, (laughs) it's where a terrorist is saying, Donald, what are you doing? I think he had a bit more control over it than people give him credit for. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think think he also very intelligently um, manipulated the media by using his tweet storms. You know what I mean? Like, I think what he was doing when he was doing it in a lot of circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. This Israeli space security chief, Chris, are you familiar with this story? I don't know anything about this story. I'm so excited to find out more. All right. So this is from an NBC News article from December 8th, 2022. 
A former Israeli space security chief has sent eyebrows shooting heavenward by saying that Earthlings have been in contact with extraterrestrials from a galactic federation. Quote, the unidentified flying objects have asked us not to publish that they are here. Humanity is not yet ready. Haim Shed, former head of Israel's Defense Ministry Space Directorate, told an Israeli newspaper. The interview in Hebrew ran on Friday, blah, blah, blah. A respected professor and retired general, Shed said the aliens were equally curious about humanity and were seeking to understand the fabric of the universe. Ashed said cooperation agreements had been signed between species, including an underground base in the depths of Mars, where there are American astronauts and alien representatives. Dude, I want to be one of those astronauts. That would be great. That would be great. Can you imagine going to a deep underground military bunker on Mars? On Mars, and then all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of alien races there just walking around. Just hanging out. Do you I think- would flip out, dude. I would just, this is why they wouldn't let me do it ever, because my first thing would be like, I need to know everything I possibly can about this person who's standing, or would you call him a person? What would you even call them? I that's interesting because what is personhood? Does it mean you are human or does person mean you're sentient? Like, I feel like we would have to change the definition of person. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, there's yeah. a million things, dude. I just, I, I, I would literally, I think my brain would just shut down and I would collapse because I'd be like, it's staggering the possibilities. And then I just <laughs> collapse. The last piece from this article. Shed added that President Donald Trump was aware of the extraterrestrial's existence and had been on the verge of revealing information, but was asked not to in order to prevent mass hysteria. Look at that, dude. A true leader we had in President Trump, dude. Calm down. Uh, I think that that part rings true, though, because I feel like he would want to tell everyone and they'd have to be like, dude, 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 you cannot please, please, release this. Please, Mr. President, for the love of God. Do not tell the world there is a galactic federation and human astronauts intermingling with a whole bunch of alien species underneath Olympus Mons on Mars. Can Mr. you imagine President, being the chief of staff or whatever it is who has to tell Trump this and you just walk into that room just like, please don't tweet this. Please don't tweet this. Like, you can't tweet this. So fun, fun little connection. If it was 2022, I believe that would be Mick Mulvaney, who was a South Carolinian. It was, well, it's 2020. Oh, it was 2020? Yeah. Well, that was when the um, Israeli head of space defense uh, came out. Oh, okay. was, was I think it was late 2019, early 2020. Then I don't know who the... There may be no South Carolina connection, uh, but uh, pretty, pretty fun stuff and makes me believe it a little more because this guy ran their spy satellite ran program it. for 30 years. He was the boss. And let me tell you, Israel had some of the most advanced technology for decades while this man was in charge. Like he knows some stuff. He, I mean... It's he more had, credible than a lot of people. He talked to a lot of spooks in his time because also the Israelis are in the top of spookdom. Now, we had mentioned that there are a few different groups going on, right? So we have the Galactic Federation, but we also have the Confederation of Planets. 
I love Confederation of Planets, dude. Got to learn more about them. All right, so let's get into some of the differences of these different groups. What is the Confederation of Planets, and how does that differ from the Galactic Federation? In contrast to the Galactic Federation, which was a, a kind of much more hands-on um, organization, similar to the Ashtar Command that would militarily intervene um, in a galactic conflict uh, if they had uh, the right conditions for intervention, the Confederation of Planets was more a spiritual organization that that would actually uh, intervene behind the scenes rather than directly intervene militarily in a galactic conflict. It would do so by uh, having face-to-face -face interactions with private uh, individuals, sharing information so that uh, those individuals could then help educate the population and raise consciousness that way to develop a more spiritual awareness. Dude, I should have known, dude. I should have <laughs> known talking to a government professor that there would be literal differences in the naming schemes based upon how he thought they interacted. And so Confederation is a loose grouping of states with only marginal kind of powers amongst the whole collective of them. And the Federation is talking about federalism, which has a strong center, a, a large collective that then has control over the various uh, states within them. That's why I'm going to give Dr. Michael Sala the C to C PM pod lore stamp of approval. I think he's doing a great job here. He's, uh, he's killing it. He's this killing is well it. thought out. This is why you need a government professor to talk over this stuff because it makes sense. Because he knows how these things work. It's great. He's had to think about the mechanics of all this for decades. How would you actually organize, right? Yes. A, a galactic federation of sorts. The other thing I really like about the confederation is that they are more spiritual so it's like they're here to like fix our vibes you know what i mean yes. like ethically spiritually we're all over the place and they are making contact with us to try and elevate humanity so that we're then ready to interact with everyone else outside of our outside of our star system if you will now that is super interesting when you start talking about what is the governing structure of these different groups because you can totally see why the galactic federation would be like you don't touch anyone who can't mm -hmm. travel warp speed like that makes sense right mm -hmm. because you can't just like pull somebody into evolving that just doesn't work like they have to do the work themselves in some kind you know just, i i gotta do the learning or the teach whatever i don't know what they say anymore yeah but these guys, right, the, the Confederation of Planets, would want to actively try to help all species. And so their prime directive is probably super loose. Yeah, I think it would be. And I think the Galactic Federation, from what Sal is saying, they could potentially intervene you know, more militarily in specific circumstances. And it makes me think of the stories of, you know, nuclear missile silos being shut down by UFOs, right? Right. Where if they think we're about to launch a nuke and we're going to just destroy ourselves, they may send someone down to like bust an EMP out and be like, calm down, y'all. 
but besides that, I think they probably will be a bit more separate versus the Confederation, which it seems like they are willing to interact more directly with us and have, you know, engagements with kind of more normies, right? As opposed to just, you know, working militarily with the government. I don't think an institution like the Galactic Federation would mess with our nuclear silos. I think they would want if you blew yourselves up, that is good that that species doesn't get into the Galactic Federation. I don't know, man. I hope that they would think better of humanity, you know, just because of a small handful of men decide to blow up the world. Is that representative of the entire population as a whole? Yeah, kind of. All right. Well, that's a negative. I'll... <laughs> I'm yeah, trying to kind think of. more positively about now, it. Now, <laughs> but I will say who would probably help us is the Confederation of Planets. That's possible. You could be right. Maybe they're, they're the ones who are helping us out. Well, we uh, got to throw some more. I need more lore. I need more lore. We got to throw a monkey wrench into this oh, because no. there are also the cedar extraterrestrials. Cedar. S-E-E-D-E-R. Okay. Like they they seeded Earth. Oh, the cedars. Yeah, the Got cedars it. is how we refer to them. Amazing, amazing. Now, what is also called the cedar extraterrestrial races? Who are they? Well, uh, they are these uh, extraterrestrials that have been involved in establishing humanity as a specific uh, set of genetics that are part of our kind of historical evolution if we go back to like the anunnaki the anunnaki would be one of those groups another group would be the the, the syrians uh syrian extraterrestrials uh another uh, uh, patricia corey is uh, uh, another source i know you've had her on coast to coast she's also talked about uh the, the, the syrian high council that they're also part of this uh one of these uh extraterrestrial civilizations George was so happy when he said Anunnaki and got it right. <laughs> like the Anunnaki? Yes, like the Anunnaki. Thank you, I know. Nailed it. I know about the Anunnaki. Now, the, so these cedar, these cedar civilizations, right, they're much more focused on, like, DNA, right? So establishing oh. civilizations and races on planets. And they're also the ones who are behind some of the alien abductions where people are getting, like, probed and stuff because they're also extracting our DNA so they could potentially seed it on other planets. Right, right. Well, you know, they're they're collecting different different things happen to the course of our dna over the course of evolution mm -hmm. right a uh, uh, four billion years on this planet that life has been around pretty much what changes happen to a dna structure over that time right and then these guys are just planting it all over the place yeah because there's going to be a lot of genetic drift where right. they could go in and then extract our DNA, which is, you know, going to be kind of different from where it was 10,000 years ago and definitely different from where it was a million years ago. And then maybe, you know, we're kind of getting to a uh, kind of a, a perfected point of like, hey, what's the most effective form of DNA? Although I guess that would be kind of dependent on environment. Um, I don't know. There's a few ways right. to go to that, but I could see why they would be interested in coming back and seeing where we ended up. Yeah, I love that. Love that theory. I love this like creator civilization that is just like kind of apart from everybody else but mm -hmm. completely manipulating the whole universe 
it's it's pretty much what they're doing. They're also the most high tech of these civilizations, Chris. Right. Well, of course, if they if these these are the what are they called it the foundation or whatever in Halo, the forerunners. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The forerun- they're the forerunners. Yeah, and yeah. we're like the ancients in Stargate. Uh, they right. are the beginning. They're they're the alpha right. and the omega essentially, and the rest of us are just little pawns in their game. Right. The probably the first civilization to reach warp speed ever right the very first one and so then they kind of got to dictate the rules mm-hmm. what are the rules that's kind of horrifying so let's that's get into horrifying. uh some of, some of how they are a, a lot cooler than us how they're a lot more high tech than us scale of measuring the level of civilizations or extraterrestrial development out there you know he he distinguished between type 1 type 2 type 3 extraterrestrial civilizations and and you could go to type four, like uh, type one is an extraterrestrial civilization that's mastered uh, energy at a planetary level, uh, type two at a stellar level, type three at a galactic level, and type four at an intergalactic level. Then these cedar races are very highly evolved groups that are type four civilizations. And that would be distinguished uh, from, say, other extraterrestrial civilizations that people talk about, such as the Greys, uh, which would be a, a type 1. Um, the, the Pleiadians would be a type 1, type 2. Uh, then we talk about Syrians, uh, Andromedans, uh, that would be type 3. And these cedars uh, uh, would, would involve type 3, type 4 civilizations that are part of this intergalactic organization. So I hate to keep on bringing up Star Trek, but this is like when Jean-Luc Picard in The Next Generation meets up with the being that we learn as Q. And Q yeah. is able to manipulate the world around him, is allowed, like, immediately can bring Picard into any point in the past or future, like, just has a, an understanding of the universe that, somebody like Picard could never have. Like we look at, at the, what Star Trek does and we're like, holy cow, we'll never get that far. But a being like Q is looking at Picard and being like, wow, you guys are still in the 20th century, 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's light years literally beyond where we are and where some of it's, it's beyond what most of the alien races we interact with are right. The, the grays, the, uh, the Andromedans, all these folks that people talk about, even the draconians are all levels below where the cedar race is. So the cedar race doesn't really interact with anybody else. Well, they they do a little bit. So let's get into uh, let's get into arcs, Chris. Let's let's talk yes. a little bit about arcs yes. here. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of data that the ark was in fact a spacecraft, uh, a very large spacecraft that was built with extraterrestrial assistance. And actually, one of the earliest references to the arcs being spacecraft was a. Uh, by Dolores Cannon in her material in the convoluted universe. And I I came across some references to these space arcs uh, being used uh, to evacuate a population during a time of catastrophic earth changes. And so she describes that, uh, that these arcs were used for that. Um, And also you, you actually have an example 
from the remote viewing data that was released by the CIA. They actually had a, uh, some of their remote viewers remote view Mars, and the remote viewer involved, which was Joseph McMonagall mm-hmm. at the time, he actually described uh, these space arcs. Uh, evacuating the, the Martian population and taking them to another planet. And, of course, that other planet was Earth. We're Martians. Yeah, we're Martians. We were brought from Mars when Mars was collapsing and taken to Earth as, like, the backup planet. I don't know if I love that. Nothing? So much of my inner lore is that we are children of Earth. Mm-hmm. That were that we would still be childrens of soul, right? But I, I feel like soul being the sun, but I feel like we are inextricably linked with our planet. And if we were actually Martians, I don't know. I feel like I would feel cheated a little bit because you wouldn't be an Earthling. I wouldn't be an Earthling. That would be a bit of a bummer. But yeah, like you said, we are still tied to soul in a way. And I think after millions of years, you're you're an Earthling. You're an Earthling. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're well, yeah. Well, it would depend on when the beings came, right? W- would we say that like Homo sapiens 400,000, 500,000 years ago, that's when the Martians get here? It, yeah, it could be. I don't. He doesn't really get into that uh, on the interview. But it, okay. Yeah, it could be a situation where the Martians came to Earth a couple hundred thousand years ago and then began to breed with the existing population of humanoids. Right. That's a possibility. Okay. okay. But I like I, that I idea know. too. Yeah. That's interesting. So then we would still be pretty earthy. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes it better. That makes it okay. better. So you're you're giving it you're kind of giving it like a Battlestar Galactica thing. Yeah, I'm basically stealing from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And I guess if we're all DNA from this cedar planet, we probably would be able to mix at at some under some fundamental level. Yeah. Yeah. Just bring it bring in the, the cousins back together. So wait, who created the Ark? The Martians did? So it potentially could be the cedar planet who created them to protect us in scenarios of destruction or, um, you know, annihilation. And nobody had any questions about this giant arc and where these beings came from and then just dumped all everybody on Earth and were like, bye, see you later. And then and then it was gone. Well, if they had questions, they didn't have any ability to write them down. See, this is why I like, you know, Graham has done so much better thinking about precursor civilizations that that our our Dr. Sala couldn't really get into. He's got great government stuff, Mm -hmm. but he maybe needs to stay away from the arc stuff because I'm not loving some of these theories. Let's get more into the I love the arc. I love the arc idea. But I get a little more. Okay, let's get more arc. Okay. Okay. So these space arcs are in a lot of different places is, is an important note. Now, this is one of the things that I found very fascinating in doing, doing the research for the new book was uh, these space arcs were built a long, long time ago by these cedar races and that they are here not only on Earth but in our solar system and that uh, some of these space arcs are on places like the moon and elsewhere in our solar system and they're just held in storage I take everything back I said against Dr. Sala. What a good idea. 
What a good idea. They're they're here. They're They're already here. Yeah. The arcs are already here. All right. And last last point of the arcs, and then we'll discuss. But uh, the real story here is that every 26,000 years or so, there are major changes on on the earth you know whether it's due to some catastrophic uh, earth changes or because of solar flare activity and that these arcs kind of like spring into action that they're held in reserve and they're used to either evacuate a population or they also have the potential to share advanced technology and that's what saved humanity during the younger dryas that would be an excellent example of when the arc would activate itself because it would sense that cataclysm was occurring, activate, fly down from the moon or like deep below the ocean and then either, you know, allow humanity to board it to be saved or provide some sort of information, I'm assuming through like AI technology that would then allow us to save ourselves. Right. It's like the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's just got all this information stuck on it, and you can ask it a question, mm-hmm. and it will give you an answer. Yeah, like, how do we not die from the solar flare? And right. then it's like, you build a big tent, and then we build the tent, and then we're good. Well, and here's the thing, too, right? They probably aren't saying saving everybody. They're probably saving the statistical number of people that they would need to rebuild civilization, right? Yeah. And so it's like 550,000 people or something like that. And pr- that's probably all that's getting saved. And what I'm what I'm really curious about too is what is the drive and motive for the cedar civilization to put in all this work to to create all these little baby civilizations on all these different planets and not only put them there and seed them but then also to create these arcs to save them if something were to happen it almost feels like religious in some way of like their desire to propagate but then also protect their creations almost like they are playing god right big time big well and here's the thing dude what that leads me to believe is that whatever the actual creative being of the universe is that much harder to attain than even we fathomed Mm -hmm. and that they can't get there themselves this ultra advanced civilization that can that can literally probably take a star apart and put it back together cannot figure out the fundamental underlying equation of the universe yeah yeah it's interesting like that's insane yeah it's a that's why i really like this guy is because these are really cool ideas he's literally trying to open up the metaphysical world discussing aliens and galactic federations and stuff like that it's the same thing that gene roddenberry was trying to do right let i i'm going to force you to look into the universe and look into humanity and you're going to love it you're going to have a great time doing it yeah yeah i i dig it a lot man well chris that will conclude our episode on 
George Norris interview with Dr. Michael Sala. Chris, on a scale of one to five space arcs hidden on the moon, what do you give Dr. Sala? This man gets five space arcs on the moon, dude. The best alien lore we've heard yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I'm gonna, Hands I'm gonna down. give him, I'm gonna give him four out of five. I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to choose to just believe it blindly because I think it's that cool. <laughs> so what? What did he lose a point on? Uh, I think if there was more actual evidence, I think okay. I'd, I'd give him an extra point. Uh, and he may have more. I haven't read his book, but I would want to get a little deeper into some of the cases that he was mentioning. To be honest, I think the point loss was him talking about remote viewing. I just don't like remote viewing. Don't like remote viewing, but Paul Israeli spy satellite chief. Yeah. That's a good that's a good guy to have in your corner. That is an excellent man to bring up as a proof point is the guy who ran the Israeli spy satellites for 30 years because he's got to be a little grounded. I don't know. Maybe he like lost it from all the spy satellites. I imagine right. it's probably a stressful position, but like he held it together long enough to be the head of the Israeli spy satellite program. He's got to right. have a couple marbles. Yes, absolutely. At least one or two marbles. And something about the story where he says Trump wanted to tell everyone he was going to go public and they had to stop him that just rings really true it screams true it screams true feels right in my gut <laughs> he was typing it into twitter as they were telling him and they were like knock the phone out of his hand the cia was monitoring his cell phone and had to shut down his iphone right <laughs> like nope no mr president this they is top secret they installed a trigger where if, if Trump typed the word alien into Twitter, his entire phone blew up. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that was our episode on the Galactic Federation Space Arcs. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know uh, we both did. We will be back next week with more Coast to Coast analysis. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to give us five stars. All conspiracy, all the time. Later. What are the rules? What? 